at On Call, a bi-weekly podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, Vice President of Strategy and Partnerships, and joining me today is Wisconsin Medical Society President, Dr. Molly Raleigh. Hi, Dr. Raleigh. Hi. Dr. Raleigh is a board-certified psychiatrist from Madison who was inaugurated just a few weeks ago, but has been involved with the society for many years, including serving as the chair of its Mental and Behavioral Task Force. Thank you for being here. Thank you. So May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and as a psychiatrist and the president of the society, you've made increasing access to mental health care a priority. Why is this so important? Uh, The state of Wisconsin has had a shortage of access to adequate mental and behavioral health care for many years, but uh, in recent years that shortage has just become worse. Um, It's especially bad in our rural communities. Uh, We tend to uh, concentrate people who treat mental and behavioral health issues in our big urban areas. Um, But now the shortage is even reaching some of the urban areas. Um, The shortage is so serious at this point that it's starting to affect physicians of all types because mental health or mentally ill patients um, are looking for treatment and are ending up in the emergency room or in their primary care doctor's office and finding follow-up or behavioral health care assistance is difficult for all physicians at this point. So some of those, what are some of the root causes of these shortages? Uh, There are a number of root causes. Uh, First of all would be, in my mind, is stigma. Um, There's a tremendous stigma against uh, people who have mental illness in our culture. Um, Mental illness is something that people are ashamed of or don't talk about. And interestingly, that stigma extends not only to the people with the illness, but also the people that take care of the illness. So I think for many years going into a profession like psychiatry has not been valued in the same way that other specialty care has been valued. Um, Similarly, that stigma leads to reimbursement rates for mental health treatment being lower than reimbursement rates for other kinds of uh, health problems. So it's kind of a, there's a, there are multifaceted reasons why we have a shortage, um, but just to narrow it down, it has to do with stigma, which leads to um, fewer professionals going into the field, which leads to poor reimbursement for care and treatment in that field. And we always have the problem of people with mental illness being afraid to get treatment because they're ashamed of it. So clearly these are high priorities for the society. As you said, it affects a lot of different physicians, not just psychiatrists. So last year, the Wisconsin Medical Society created this Mental Behavioral Health Task Force, which you are the chair of. And tell me a little bit how this came out of the work with the opioid crisis and how substance use disorders and mental health disparities interact. So uh, recently, we've had some tremendous uh, work in the political arena uh, in assisting with trying to end the opioid crisis. The opioid crisis has touched many people and um, for whatever reason, people uh, in dealing with this crisis have become uh, less ashamed about it and more willing to reach out to people um, who have opioid problems. Um, It turns out though that people who are addicted to opioids also often have mental health issues, almost always. Um, 
and our shortage in mental health care is impacting even our ability to deal with the opioid crisis. So the two shortages are closely um, associated with each other and we think that addressing the mental health crisis in Wisconsin will help to bolster the efforts of the opioid task force um, and overall help people with mental illnesses in our state. So you mentioned the resources that go into mental health. Let's talk a little bit more about the disparity in, in how resources get to uh, helping people with mental health. What are some of the key factors in how resources are allocated? Uh, people with serious mental illness almost always end up on public assistance of some sort. And so Medicaid reimbursement is, and Medicare reimbursement is very important in setting the standard for how people will pay, how insurance companies and everyone will pay for mental health treatment. When people are severely mentally ill, they often can't work and often don't have insurance. On the other hand, um, insurance reimbursement and resources is also impacted by the fact that the Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement is low for mental health treatment. So that's one disparity. Um, also, I think, again, uh, with stigma, mental health clinics, mental health hospitals are often sequestered or far away from other resources. We've seen, for example, um, in our community, if you look at the past 50 years, a real change in the number of people with serious mental illness that end up in the correctional environment, going to jails and prisons, mm -hmm. who, you know, maybe not all of them, but many of them, had they gotten the correct support and treatment at the right time, they might not be currently housed in our prison system. It, it seems much more of a challenge or much less straightforward than, you know, serving somebody who's got a broken leg. They come with a broken leg, it's clear what's wrong, you can fix the problem, and send them on their way. With mental health, it seems like you have to be making this economic case that's a little bit more complex for preventative care. Can you speak to that at all? Yes. So uh, people like to conceptualize mental health issues as one thing, but they are not one thing. Mm -hmm. There are some people that have a crisis, a loved one passes away, they have a prolonged period of grief, they need some temporary or short-term intervention in order to get back on their feet. And then there are people with very serious il mental illnesses that are lifelong problems that require treatment all of the time. Um, things like uh, recurrent depression can really impact not only a person's functioning based on their depression, but it impacts also their health. So people have poorer outcomes if they have a concurrent mental illness like depression when they're being treated for diabetes or um, other health problems. So it's kind of insidious in that way. Um, uh, properly treating people's underlying mental health problems improves all of their health outcomes. But it's not quite so straightforward. And back to my original statement, um, you know, mental illness is not one thing. It's a huge, diverse number of different illnesses and ailments that cause a little bit of disability or a lot of disability. And it's just when we're put in that one black and white bas basket or framework, we really miss a lot of the complexity of what's there and what we're trying to treat. It seems like because of the stigma too, a lot of this is, is hidden from the public view, from friends and family. You know, DHS, the Department of Health Services, puts a $9 billion price tag on the economic loss of people struggling with mental health disorders. 
So, I mean, how can we continue to address this? One of the things we talk about is, is workforce, as you mentioned, and I'd like to drill down a little bit on that. What are some of the things we can do to encourage med students to look into psychiatry as, as their profession? So there are a number of things, and we've already talked a lot about stigma. Obviously, valuing the profession is really important. But in addition to that, uh, providing training opportunities in our state would really help. So we have a couple of residency programs in our state, and we recently expanded to some rural residency programs. Um, so we've increased the number of what you would uh, term as residence slots or places where people can get residency training in psychiatry in Wisconsin, but we could expand even further. Um, in order to get people to stay in the state after they've trained, it's very important to offer residency training in the state. When uh, medical students move on to residency, that's often the place that they settle down and live. Um, it's the time in your life when you're getting married and having children, and, and very often people uh, stay in the place where they did their residency. I did. I never intended to stay in Madison, but here I am 20 years later. So that's one thing that we could do would be to increase the residency slots in our state even further. So there are a number of tools that we've explored at the Medical Society to try to promote as far as increasing access and helping to uh, increase the ability of the workforce to see more patients like telepsychiatry and other, other technology. What, what are the pros and cons of something like telepsychiatry within the state of Wisconsin? So telepsychiatry can be a great tool of, uh, for moving the resources that you have in large urban areas into rural communities. So uh, the distance doesn't become such a problem. I've been involved in telepsychiatry programs within the state system, both in the Department of Corrections and currently at Mendota Mental Health Institute. Um, it's a very effective tool. People are a little weirded out by the idea that they would be seeing their psychiatrist on a screen, but actually once um, you get used to it and the psychiatrist is used to it, um, it tends to work very well and our, uh, our customer satisfaction is really high with those programs. The downsides for telepsychiatry is how do you get um, telepsychiatry programs that are of appropriate quality and have good oversight um, into the areas where people need them. So there are a number of national telepsychiatry companies, and I can't speak to the quality of those one way or another, but they're remote uh, practitioners that we don't necessarily know, and it's hard to judge the quality ahead of time. I'm very happy with the programs that I've worked with that use local physicians to try to expand our reach into the rural areas. Um, so telepsychiatry has a lot of promise and we're mulling over a number of different ways that telepsychiatry could be used to improve the shortage problem. Um, but right now uh, we're just kind of looking at all ideas. Um, there are a variety of different ways that telepsychiatry could be implemented to help with the shortage. Um, but how exactly we will impact that or ask that the legislature take a look at something like that, we really haven't decided yet. And we're open to ideas. If people <laughs> listening have great ideas about how to use telepsychiatry more effectively to help decrease shortages, that would be great. There is an example of a successful telepsychiatry program, which is the um, child 
psychiatry consultation line that's run by the Medical College of Wisconsin. It was a program that started with a grant from the state government. Um, and in that program, a psychiatrist is made available not to patients, but to physicians, so primary care physicians throughout the state who may have a child that needs psychiatric care in their office now can access this line and ask questions of a child psychiatrist if they need advice. So that's one creative use of telepsychiatry to help alleviate the stress on our primary care doctors who are feeling the brunt of this shortage. So you were just inaugurated as the president of the Medical Society, so congratulations. Um, what, or maybe condolences, right? This is, you know, this is a, a big responsibility, uh, helping us sort of frame how, how we work for the next year. What are some of your hopes for your role and, and what the society and its members can do to address some of these issues? So I, I do want to say that as president of the Medical Society, I want to represent all of Wisconsin's physicians and not just psychiatrists. I do have, obviously, this special interest in the mental health crisis that we're suffering right now in the state of Wisconsin, but I do want to represent all physicians. My hopes for the mental health task force are that we could actually come up with some helpful legislation that we could uh, ask the legislature to consider in the next session that might address some of the specific points that we've talked about today. Things like uh, Medicaid reimbursement, telepsychiatry programs, increasing Medicaid reimbursement, and increasing training slots in Wisconsin are all things that we would like to consider pushing in our agenda to help with the crisis overall. So how can, how can our listeners, how can physicians in the state of Wisconsin help the society, help you in that mission? How, what do we need them to do? At this point, we have definitely some slots for interested people on our task force. It would be nice to get a good diverse group of physicians that are interested in helping to resolve these problems, help work with us on what sorts of legislation we might want to present at some point, and also presenting us with ideas. So we've talked today about some of the ideas that we do have. There's obviously some that we probably haven't thought of or maybe tweaks to the ideas that we have that would make them um, more politically viable or more successful in alleviating the crisis as it affects physicians in Wisconsin right now. Well, it's clearly no small task. This is important work, and we're glad that you're our president for this year and, and helping us focus in on these issues. So thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll return to provide us with some updates on these efforts in the future. But that will wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. If you like what you heard, please visit our website, www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got suggestions or feedback, send an email to communications at wismed.org. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.